Check. A happy sad talk thing. Happy sad talk thing. Happy sad talk thing. Happy sad talk thing. I don't know anything, yeah. I'm just happy and sad and stuff. What's up, you guys? Coming at you um, from Saint Rogue Studios in Venice. Um, that uh, my friend, my professor, my boss, uh, Michael Smitty Smith. Uh, this is his place. Um, and I've been interning here, and I just got promoted to studio manager. And then I quit my day job as a barista. Um, those two things were coincidences. I, I'm getting paid zero dollars <laughs> to work at this studio. But uh, that's not true. I mean, I'm not, I don't get a paycheck because I'm still a student at USC where Smitty teaches. Um, but I get to use the studio like whenever there's availability, which is fucking awesome. So the Nova Darlings are making a record here that's almost done. And uh, I have some time in between uh, little projects. And so fucking, I was like, dude, let me record the podcast intro in here. <laughs> I just submitted my last school assignment for the fall 2017 semester. And it's just sinking in on me now as I record this podcast introduction that I'm fucking done, which is super rad. So, um, yeah, I've, I feel like I've learned a lot about myself this this school year, uh, this school semester rather. Um, I'm tired. I'm excited to sleep. I'm excited to take some walks and uh, kind of process all the things I've learned and. Um, yeah, just kind of like wrap a couple things up that I'm working on and get started on a couple things and freaking watch Stranger Things 2 finally. <laughs> oh man, but, uh, and I'm hopefully going to record a bunch of podcasts over break. Um, it's, it's been so fun doing this and, uh, I'm so happy that I get to keep doing it and I'm, I think moving into 2018, I'm really going to, uh, go hard with the podcast because it brings me so much joy um, and it just makes it's like a friggin conduit for all these really cool awesome magic things in my life so I love this podcast and I love you guys for listening um, tuning in so I hope you guys are doing okay uh, moving into the holidays um, yeah uh, I have a wonderful episode today with Noah Zimmerman um, who's a freshman at the pop program at USC, and she's also in the production program. Because she's a badass. Um, yeah, super cool. Uh, she hired me to do sound at her album release show uh, a couple months ago on the bright side of Oblivion. Um, phenomenal album and phenomenal person. And uh, it was a really cool night. Um, and, uh, you know, like we, uh, we got bounced from the backyard by a crazy neighbor. We tell that story later. So we moved everything inside, and we had a really, really dope night. And, uh, yeah, she's a super, super cool person, and, and I'm really glad that we got to hang out on this podcast because um, she is super smart and interesting and 
has read all these cool books and has all these cool things to say. <laughs> and I'm always down to make new friends and meet new people. So, um, yeah, uh, Noah Zimmerman's rad. Check her out. Um, her, she makes wonderful music. Um, so here's a fucking podcast where we talk about death and shit. Um, we started talking like when she came in and I like wasn't set up yet. So the very beginning of the podcast um, is kind of a continuation of a conversation we were having about uh, sexual misconduct and stuff because she had listened to that episode of this podcast and then I was talking about the John Oliver thing with uh, the, the Dustin Hoffman, J- John Oliver you, John Oliver you, <laughs> John Oliver interview thing. Um, and so it, it's basically the first like five minutes of the podcast, just me kind of ranting about all that shit. Um, and I think I was a little bit at my wits end, but, uh, no, it was very like <laughs> collected and common cool. And she brought her fucking sitar and she played some sitar. Uh, so we'll get to hear that later. And, um, she also plays one of her, uh, awesome songs called burning away. So check out her music. It's, it's everywhere. No, with no age. Uh, Zimmerman everywhere except uh, CD Baby as she says so anyways check her out um, yeah Felix or die you guys um, that's all I got to say right now uh, stay tuned for a Nova Darlings album uh, more info on that later uh, friggin more info on yourself now question mark podcast I think we're doing it. Hooray, hooray, check. Sick. Anyways. Hello, now I'm in podcast mode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what was I going to say? It's weird because we've been talking and having a cool conversation already for <laughs> like 35 minutes. Um, we were talking about, yeah, that John Oliver video. I don't know if anybody in the internet has seen it, but there's a cool video, cool in the sense of like, hell yeah, John Oliver for taking uh, Dustin Hoffman to task. But basically it's like Dustin Hoffman like trying to rationalize I don't even know what happened. I don't know what the allegations are, but I think he groped somebody or did something gross and creepy. Um, and he was, like, defending it, you know? And John Oliver was kind of being like, I think that's a bullshit response, man. I think, like, the, these words that you used, it's, like, uncool. And it was just like, whoa, like, John Oliver. Like, damn. And they were, like, at a film festival, too. It was, like, pretty... Uh, it wasn't, like, um, like, a recent thing. I don't know. Anyways, John Oliver is very cool. You can tell it's real when professional funny people get serious. Yeah, totally. He said something really cool. He was just like, I get no joy out of like having this conversation. Um, which is so like, cause he, there was basically a point in the thing where I don't even know the incident or the allegations, but it was just a very interesting conversation to see like, just like how just defensive Dustin Hoffman was, you know? <clears throat> um, and, like, John Oliver kept pointing out, he's just like, dude, this is not about you and me. Like, we're not the victims here, you know? Because Dustin Hoffman kept being like, you weren't there. And he's like, yeah, but it's not about me, <laughs> you know? And he was saying, like, he was reading, like, I think the diary of the girl that was violated. 
Which is also weird because that movie is about some sexual creepy shit of like an older woman like sleeping with Dustin Hoffman and then like her daughter like accuses him of like rape and stuff. And so that's some like weird meta shit. Um, but basically uh, John Oliver like saying like, uh, oh no, yeah. He was like saying that he like read the diary entries and that she like felt like violated and stuff like that. And Dustin Hoffman's like, do you believe what you read? And John Oliver's like, yeah, <laughs> I believe that's exactly what she felt. And like, why would she lie, you know? And I think that that's like, it's so gross and weird to see how like quickly like sexual assault like got politicized, you know what I'm saying? With like all the Roy Moore shit and like, <laughs> and just the fact that, that that's like a now a, a partisan issue, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This like, this human ass thing. Um, but when the, I mean, part of me, I don't know, like when the straight up the Republican Party who's like officially endorsed Roy Moore, who's like known for like creeping on young girls, like <clears throat> I feel like that side of the spectrum is is literally just like the liars, <laughs> you know? And it's like what what motivation would anyone have for like sharing a horrifying truth other than like I guess like maybe like dethroning somebody, but that seems like incredibly like fucked up and painful. And uh, that's just like a super weird argument that uh, doesn't make any sense to me. But it's weird listening to like, I know all the people on the like NPR podcast that I listen to are like super chill people and they have to like just objectively report the facts. But it's very frustrating when they're just like, this is what this people think and this is what this people think. And I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Those are all my thoughts on that video I watched today. How are you, Noah? <laughs> I'm, I'm great. How are you? Oh, God. Here we go. It's already started. Um, we were talking before about some really cool things about you being the tarot cards. And uh, you also brought a sitar with you today, which is very rad. Thank you. I'm excited to attempt to play it for yeah. you. When did you get into sitar? Um, well, it all stems from being a huge Beatles nerd, as I was talking yes. about. I just, um, um, I think I just hired you as my Beatles guru to like kind of give right. me Beatles spiritual homework assignments. Which is about, like, this is the most qualified I've ever been for anything, I promise. <laughs> yes! That's fucking right. I love the Beatles. I just, like, don't... I haven't done the rabbit hole dive yet, you know? I'm yeah. Like, I'm very connected to the stuff I know. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm, I, gotta do a, I gotta do a deep dive with this stuff. It'll happen. It's an entire universe. Mm. And so the sitar came because I was... So, so there's, like, a natural progression when you're a young person in the Beatles, into the Beatles, and you start Ringo's your favorite when you're five because, <laughs> because, because Ringo is Ringo. and the octopus and hanging out. Yeah, I was Ringo for Halloween when I was like four or five. That's fucking perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> that's perfect. And then it goes to Paul because he's the cute one. So that's like Got the 10-ish phase, like 10-year-old right. phase. Then you get into John Lennon because he's John Lennon and he's yeah. revolutionary and everything yes. he does is amazing. Yes. And then you hit George Harrison and you realize he's the real, he's, he's the one. What? Oh, shit. Hell yeah. I mean, I kind of go back and forth between him and John and I try and like yeah. learn a lot about both of them. But I was going through a huge George Harrison phase and researching. I was listening to All Things Must Pass a lot, which is yeah. a great album. Yeah, heck yeah. And um, like watching documentaries about him and reading his autobiography and biographies and stuff like that. And I just really liked the whole 
Hindu spiritualism aspect. And so yeah. I started researching that and reading like the Tao Te Ching and like the Tibetan Book of the Dead and that Dude. sort of thing. And then I got I got into the sitar because Oh shit. The Bhagavad Gita and the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I've read the Bhagavad Gita twice. I'm reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead for the second time. The exact same copy. Wow, you're much more hardcore than me. Um, <laughs> I've like opened those books a couple of times and been like, what a crazy sentence in the middle of this book. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you just go straight through both of them? Um, the Bhagavad Gita I read straight through. The yeah. Tibetan Book of the Dead is a lot bigger and more intimidating. So when you start reading yeah. it, it's scary. Also, so, don't know the history of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, is it specifically tied to Hinduism or Buddhism, or is it like I just Tibetan? think it's pretty tied to Hinduism. Cool, cool. But those two are very similar. I'm not like a super expert on it. I just neither like, am I. I'm I into know, it. I know that Buddhism was like a somewhat of an offshoot of Hinduism. It yeah. was like a reformation in a sense, in yeah. the same way that like Christianity and Judaism are like sort of intertwined. Right. Um, There's a lot of it's really interesting reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead and thinking, like, yeah. people wrote this. Yeah! It's, it's so wise and it's so weird. Like, when I got to the section yeah. where it's, like, if it's been three days and there's, like, a line in your eyes when you close your left eye, like, you're going to die in 21 weeks or whatever. Like, there's a whole section where it's all oh. this weird detailed stuff about, like, little signs that you're going to die in a certain amount of time. Oh, my God. But have you have you looked into reading... Um, there's like from the acid test era, the like the one that John Lennon really read was an interpretation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And it's no. really, really interesting. Do you know what it's called? Um, the Psychedelic Experience. Is it Terrence McKenna? No. Okay. I think it's like Alan Wattman or something like that. But it's well, I only just started it and it's really interesting. Dude, I think I have a podcast that you're really gonna like. Um, maybe I could recommend some podcasts. Yeah, I definitely. Some like uh, Beatles uh, slash spiritual ass shit. Um, dude, <clears throat> have you seen the movie Boyhood? Yeah, I love that movie. Do you know that part, the Beatles part in that movie where Ethan Hawke's like talking to the son about like the theory that there is no greatest Beatle and like he has that compilation right. album of like all their solo shit and the best Beatle shit and he's right. like, they all serve and kind of like you said, like like they all have these different stations in your life, you know? I think that's fucking beautiful. I forget, you forget that it's like, it was just like, you think about certain things in pop culture that just are, and you're like, oh, that just is, you know? Mm. But those are just like four dudes that were like, should we put some drums there? <laughs> yeah, that's, that'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fucking so rad, you know? There was just four people trying some shit, you know? And it, you think about it as this thing that was like handed down from god that was like this is the beatles now and it was just like what do you think of this song it's all right it could be better okay <laughs> we'll work on it more <laughs> especially when you hear those like demos of really shit and you're like these were guys yeah. that like were practicing shit and getting better at shit yeah you know? like, and there's insane. there's so much cultural stuff tied into what they were doing like yeah. the entire 60s movement i mean they were being pulled with it so it wasn't just them leading it or anything but they're such <laughs> yeah, big yeah, figures yeah in all of it, I of I'm really into the 60s. That's, like, my thing. Hell and yeah. I, like, I'm really into the, right, I'm really curious about the whole acid phase. Yeah. Not that I'm, like, obsessed with drugs and stuff like that, but I find that so interesting that people were starting to explore that yeah. as, like, a regular part totally. of society. And there, there, there tends to be that, <clears throat> like, correlation between, like, psychedelic, um, like, experiences and drugs and things with, like, I mean, at the end of the day, 
those are people that are cultivating like transcending ex experiences in the same way that yeah. like you know meditation or like right going there's to a concert definitely two sides of it and that's what george harrison got into was he was like i've done acid i understand that experience now i want to be able to have it be sustainable and not have it be related to drugs and that's when he got mm. into meditation and chanting because he went to the hate and i live near san francisco so i go to the hate all the time and it's like hate, hate ashbury, ashbury yeah. yeah and cool. he realized that it was just a bunch of burnouts that were trying to like drop out of school so they could just go and be high all the time and that was just yeah. not not it dude alan watts has this really badass quote when he was like i think he was talking about uh marijuana but i think it's like a very interesting quote about kind of any like drug or and just any practice really in life he's like when you get the message hang up the phone you know <laughs> and that george harrison thing reminds me of he's like okay i heard the call and now it's like now i know my mission <laughs> yeah and I think it's badass. Like, I took this American spirituality class uh, my freshman year, and I don't know if they still have it, but it was, like, all these weird countercultural, like, religious movements in the Americas, like, since... I think it started at, like, the 1800s, and it was, like, pretty much every, like, non-Catholic, uh, like, religious developments. We got into all these like, weird cults, and, like, we had this whole, like, unit on the 60s, and just being, like, the fact that the Beatles were the most popular people in the world and could have anything and could be anywhere. And they were like, let's go to India. And they were like, it was like, what? That, that wasn't done. Like, nobody did that. And like, I don't know, especially in Los Angeles, there's so much Eastern spirituality and pseudo-spirituality, but also a lot of like, you know, just awesome. And you just think about it as, oh yeah, like uh, we just uh, started getting into this stuff, but it was really like, I feel like one thing that you don't hear a lot is like how important like the Beatles were in sort of like, shepherding these like ideologies over here you know which is like badass as shit how did you get into the beatles are your parents my parents are definitely into the beatles um which is why i didn't like them for a while Hell when yeah. i was really little i was like my mom's my mom likes to tell people that i like the beatles so i don't like the beatles <laughs> so I, I wasn't into them for a while and then i have family in la so we would road trip back and forth and at yeah. one point they gave me like the Beatles cartoons DVDs and I watched them when we were driving home from LA and like the ones where they're like with the blue people and like that's I mean they have the movie the but this I is a different thing it's like a TV thing? show which oh, it wasn't really their voices which I didn't find out till later which was kind of oh, really? heartbreaking Whoa. it's like people doing a fake Liverpoolian accent so it's oh kind of ridiculous God. yeah but I've never heard Liverpoolian as a as an adjective but it was fun. So that <laughs> Please continue. You're smart. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, like their music was in it, and I got really yeah. into the music. And then I, my Beatles had my parents had this giant Beatles anthology, and it was like the Beatles had this giant parents anthology. <laughs> exactly. <Amazing>. Yeah. <laughs> and I started reading it when I was like ten, and then I got to the section about LSD, and my parents hid it from me, so I would stop reading it. And now it had the opposite effect, where they were like, "Don't like the Beatles," and you were like, "I'm gonna be the biggest Beatles fan." <laughs> so yeah, that's what happened. And I Hell learned yeah. to play guitar from reading the Beatles fake book and learning all the songs, so yeah. that was part of it, too. The Beatles fake book? There is, and it's important to own. Oh, man. Jesus, guys, take notes. I'm going to listen back <laughs> to this and like write down a list of things to do. <laughs> uh, where, where, where did your uh, like entry, like uh, album-wise, like start with them? I think when I was younger, I was more into the early stuff because it's more simple and pop and yeah. that sort of thing. And then as I got older, I got more into the later stuff. My favorite album of all time is definitely Rubber Soul. Mm. But I don't know. I just 
there's not that much, so you can listen to all yeah. of it really easily. It is truly insane when you think, like, I mean, how many years were they really? Six years they were famous. Damn, I mean, dude. They were That's fucking insane. Yeah. The fact that they had so much, like, influence, like, on not only songwriting, but also recording and, like, let alone culture and fashion and religion and shit. But uh, it's just pretty insane that whatever kind of, like, cosmic forces were at work, like, allowed for that moment to happen, you know? Like, I don't think right. that's comparable. I don't think we have, like, comparable, like, maybe, like, Beyonce. <laughs> but I, st- I don't think that that's as, uh, I mean, I don't know what the moment was like, but I, I remember my dad saying, like, when the Beatles, like, were on Ed Sullivan, like, his parents were excited and he was excited. Like, it was this big old, like, big old thing, you know? Yeah. I'm going to sit on the floor now. Cause Dude, are we doing like that's are you what's joining me on, on the floor? Yeah. I don't want to peer pressure you into sitting on the floor. I'd much prefer to sit on I the floor. I just felt weird, like, sitting in that corner, like, in an <laughs> office chair, like, so. Um, felt a little too Godfather-ish for me. Um, I know that you're also a huge Elliott Smith fan. Oh, um, yeah. And I feel like those two things are intertwined. Um, Definitely, yeah. I feel like he was kind of carrying the torch in a lot of ways. Yeah, know? he was really into the Beatles. I would, have you ever read his one of his biographies? No, I haven't. There's this one called Torment Saint, which is really good and very emotional. Like, yeah. by the time you get to the end, it's really sad. Elliot Smith, emotional? What? Yeah, exactly. Get out of town. But he w- they talked about his favorite song when he was a kid, his favorite Beatles song, and it was the same as mine. And I was, I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, my God, God emotional. And then I started relating too much to Elliot Smith and had to back off. Yeah. Because <laughs> when that happens, like, you go downhill. That's true. But he was really into Cry Baby Cry, which is a really pretty song. Which album is that on? It's on the... Well, now it's a big deal if I get it wrong. I think it's on the White Album. Cool. Dude, I kind of feel like in, like every time I listen to the White Album... <coughs> Sorry, I'm having ginger tea, and it's like sitting in a weird place in my throat. Anyways. Um, I kind of feel like that kind of established... I feel like so much of like the 90s like disaffected... Disaffected? Disaffected like, underground music is, like, was really just, uh, like, kind of, you can kind of point back to the White Album for, like, so much of that sort of weird, disaffected, melodic angst that was kind of going on, you know? That was definitely an interesting, like, point in their career. That was a huge disunity during that album. Really? They had to kind of, yeah, I think Ringo quit the band during that album, and Paul was anyway, like, re-recording his drum tracks, and there's all this stuff going on. A lot of those songs, like, they would have multiple studios going on at the same time recording separate songs, so it wasn't as much of a band project as the rest of them, and then they would, like, pull the other ones in and have them do stuff on it, but, like, there, there was a lot going on during that. That was when George was getting into the spiritual stuff, so he was kind of yeah. checked out, and... So was George Martin kind of like overseeing all of it and making sure it sounded like a thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Damn. honestly, like that album, it's not my favorite. And I think that if they had taken out certain songs, they could have made a shorter album that would have been yeah. like incredible. That's so true. But instead, like, there's, so, there's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of social commentary. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it's not my favorite. But then they sort of had to come back th- together, and what they made after that was incredible. It's crazy to me thinking like. I was talking to some dude that was, like, alive when this happened, and he kind of made this point, but I think I was looking at some, like, I was reading some Rolling Stone magazine, like, greatest albums for whatever years or something, but just, like, 1969, you have um, Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stones, you have Abbey Road, and then you have, like, Led Zeppelin 1 and Led Zeppelin 2, and, like, probably a bunch of other sick, awesome records that I'm leaving out, but just, like, 
having like the last Beatles record and the first Led Zeppelin record come out like in the same year, I feel like it's such a crazy watershed moment of just like 60s, 70s. <laughs> you know. Anyways, man. You have five albums? I do. That's crazy. Two of them are no longer like available on the internet. Yeah. But there's three still. I feel like the Beatles and Elliot Smith, um, not to pigeonhole you into that, your music is complex and awesome and not just like, oh, she's clearly just trying to be the Beatles and Elliot Smith. Um, it's like a somewhat accurate statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can hear it, but it's. I feel like you authentically kind of emulate that vibe, you know, in a kind of like Elliot Smith was like carrying the torch. I feel it's like, oh, yeah, this is like a natural next step for this stuff, um, which is cool as fans of both of those music, musics. Both of those musics? <laughs> Anyways, sorry, my brain is uh, a pile of potatoes right now. Um, but I feel like both of those artists are like, like the art of recording comes into it so much. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Which is something that I think a, a, a lot of like people that maybe don't make records or don't like think a lot about. Um, like I saw this billboard on Hollywood Boulevard that was like behind every song is a secret genius. And then it was a big picture of Rick Rubin. Love Rick Rubin. But I feel like the sign should have said behind every recording is a secret Jesus, <laughs> you know? Secret Jesus, I almost said. Um, I don't know a ton about Rick Rubin, but I don't think he's like a writer on a lot of the stuff that he produces. Like, And I, I not to take away from the genius at all, but I, it is interesting like how related those art forms are. Like, mm -hmm. like recording and writing and performing like... And we kind of think about them all as the same these days. Um, but they're, like, pretty different. And just to think about, like, pre-Sgt. Pepper's, like, albums. Or just, like, pre-recordings, like, music. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, let's put it down, like... Or just even sheet music. Like, well, I could take this song home and, like, bring and play it in my living room. Like, insane, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And nowadays, like, I don't know, basically. But those two artists, Elliot Smith and the Beatles, I feel like are super into recordings. And you're, like, not only a pop major, but you're also a production major. So... I feel like that's badass. Thank and you. And you clearly started recording at like a young age. Like how did you get into making sounds happen on for uh, recordings? It's always been definitely a vehicle for my songs. Just yeah. Because I would, I would want to have a recording of them. And so my first full on like recording my own songs were like seventh grade garage band recorded on the computer yes. with the computer microphone, that sort yes, of thing. Dude, same. Fuck yeah. You have to start somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah. And I still have those and I like to listen to them. Yeah. And they're terrible. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I have a sound on song on SoundCloud that I produced when I was like fifteen of like my friends like folk punk band. Nice. <laughs> that I listened to the other day and I was I had I did the drums on musical typing. Yep. <laughs> and it just it's beautifully, like, uh, very innocent, you know. There's something, like, that special accomplishment that you don't get anymore when you've spent an hour pressing two buttons to make a <laughs> drum beat. Yeah. And then it's there and it's done. Yeah, that's that's incredibly true. And now there's, uh, you can loop stuff. On yeah. I'm definitely, like, not into technology, so that's been mm. hard to have to take a lot of technology classes. Yeah, it's a production major here is like pretty technology yeah, based. Yeah, and it's very much not my thing. I would like to have someone else pressing the buttons, but I'm way too much of a perfectionist and control freak to have someone else doing it because yeah. I would just be... Like the first time I ever had it, someone mixing my music, I was really bad at the communication part because I would be like, it needs to sound orange. Like this song needs to be orange. It needs to be fiery. And he wouldn't and understand like, without. Do you want me to turn the mids up or like? Uh... <laughs> yeah. 
So it's it's good to learn the language. I think that's definitely the most valuable thing about the production major is totally. learning how to express, like, be able to communicate yeah. what you want it to sound like because that's such an abstract thing when you try and put it into words. Yeah, and there's so many artistic choices that are being made in that part of the conversation. Yeah. You know, and especially, like, just as a as an artist, you know, and you have this thing that starts in your head and in your diary and then mm-hmm. essentially becomes, like, a recording you know like you want to be at least involved in the conversations yeah but you feel like songwriting is your heart and like the production stuff is to help kind of cultivate those things yeah and there's definitely phases where i get really into the art of of production yeah like when you listen to radiohead like it wouldn't really be much without production dude i listen to in rainbows like and i just every single time it just blows my mind i'm like how did you make these recordings like they're insane. Like they're truly just fucking insane. I love that yeah. album. So it's much. crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. Just the vocals, like the drum. Oh man, woo! <laughs> but I just imagine, like, uh, yeah, like what did that sound like before it was mixed? Like, right. How'd they put those mics in that room and shit? <laughs> I've had a lot of arguments with friends here about, like. Something like Radiohead, if you heard the song Acoustic, would it still be a great song? And, like, what what mm. defines a great song? Is it something that's been produced and sounds incredible now or something that would stand alone also? And I think yeah. that the Beatles and Elliot Smith would stand alone, but the production brings it to a whole nother level. So it definitely mm. works together. But I think if you're going to be, like, not just good but great, it has to be a great song to begin with. I think that that is incredibly true. Um, it, it's just, yeah, it's very interesting, like, the blending of all the art forms these days. Like, um because, like, one of my friends, when he heard uh, Moonshape Pool, was like, I feel like they're more into sound than they are into songs, you know? Yeah, they sort of um, lost me with that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't feel it. I, I like it a lot. Um, but to be honest, I only listened to, like, three songs on it. Like, Burn the Witch and uh, Daydreaming and um, friggin', uh, what's the one? True Love Waits? That's <laughs> <laughs> didn't dig it. <laughs> um I like that record, um, but I also feel like it's not, like, there's no crime in being more into sounds or being better yeah. at production, like, at the end of the day. I feel like a lot of people kind of compare things in their iTunes library or their Spotify playlists to other things in their Spotify playlists, but they're really trying to accomplish, like, different things, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes, like, there's this iPhone recording of this Merle Haggard song I've been listening to recently of this guy named, like, I don't even know his name. I don't even know how it came into my life, like... You know, you just have, I have this, like, my car, I start my car, and, like, it pulls up all my, like, iTunes, Apple Music shit, and just puts it on shuffle, and it's so fun. Like, every time I get in my car, and I just shuffle through, like, thousands of songs, because, you know, you just click add or whatever, and it's just, like, you have no idea what's happening. Um, And so I have all of these random files, like, that I just have never heard. Anyways, there's this one iPhone recording of this Merle Haggard song, and it's just perfect. It's, like, amazing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was fully produced, it might be really cool. Um, or you'll hear like some old like fifties recording where there was like, dude, I think there was one mic in the middle of this room and like the engineers just like crushed it as far as like, okay, you need to stand two inches to the left. (laughs) Um, but also, yeah, you take a thing like a moon shaped pool or like certain things that are, are like, oh yeah, I feel like you guys are more into the sonics of this than the songwriting of this. Um. And obviously the best step is where everything is killing, like the writing and the recording and the performing and all that shit and the artwork and it all comes together as this cohesive, awesome thing. But um, I feel like the people are looking for kind of different things in different 
kinds of music and it's like all the same and shit but you know if i'm listening to brian eno music for airports it's like i'm i'm having a different i'm on a quest for different things and if i'm listening to like uh freaking you know i don't know trying to think of a if i'm listening to like paramore or something mm-hmm. i don't know where that reference came from but Anyways, <laughs> are you are you the kind of person who hears a song for the first time and immediately listens to the lyrics, or do you just listen to the song? I'm a lyrics guy myself. Yeah, me too. Um, it trips me out that people aren't right. Yeah, someone's like, "Oh, I didn't even notice the lyric." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same way, and there's de- it's like definitely a very distinct kind of person. Yeah, totally. I didn't realize that until recently. Yeah, because um, I, I like I've been getting into the recordings thing too, and it's so fun and like. It's also so annoying because, like, sometimes you talk to the people that are, that I have love for these people, and, like, I kind of need them so I can ask them questions, but people that are, like, more into the technology of it and kind of forget that, like, yo, at the end of the day, like, (laughs) like, there's so much, like, science to it and exactness, and, but at the end of the day, it's, like, I feel like it just comes down to, like, fuck it, that's rad. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's weird to me that people don't listen to lyrics first but it's also fine you know what i'm saying like you're allowed to get whatever you want out of music you know yeah <laughs> so where did you go next from the garage band thing um then i talked to some people and found out that what i needed was an interface and a microphone mm-hmm. and who are these people it's a good question are you an only child i have an older brother have an older brother was he, he a music person he played guitar and then yeah. stopped playing guitar and mm-hmm. then i started playing his guitar and then it became my guitar Dude, we have a creepily similar origin story. Really? I started playing the bass guitar. as my sister's bass guitar. She stopped playing it. Anyways, please continue. That's cool. So you're originally a bass player? Yeah. I did like two auditions at Thornton. I did like a bass playing and like a songwriting audition. Oh, Um, cool. Anyways, but I want to hear. I'm originally a bass player too. Really? Well, because I didn't want to be just like my brother. So I was like, I'm going to take a bass instead. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting to me, like why people start playing the bass, you know? (laughs) Because it's always like... It's never a straightforward thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And like, I love the bass, and I feel like I've, I, but I kind of started playing it out of default. You know, then there was just no one else yeah. that played the bass, and I was like, yeah, I'll play the bass. Like, cool. Everyone plays guitar. You don't want to be like everyone else. Yeah, you're trying to be different. <laughs> but then when I got, when I realized I needed guitar to write, I was like, well, everyone plays it, which is why I didn't play it originally. So I need to be Same. like really fucking good at it. Because <laughs> so anyone cross that be threshold like, of like, all right, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna fucking. This. yeah exactly yeah that's the key i think who were your first like i mean besides those two people that you were talking about Elliot smith and the beatles like uh who are the guitar people that made you stoked about the guitar definitely john mayer yes. not i don't like his stuff anymore and i argue with people all the time about it who are really into his new stuff and i literally <laughs> can't stand it what are those conversations like, like? they're they're like they had they're very convinced that his new album is brilliant and i'm very convinced that it's not brilliant (laughs) (laughs) but like you look at continuum and that kind of stuff i love that and through him i found out about Jimi hendrix who i'd always like heard of but never really went into and that's you know he's god so so learning Jimi hendrix stuff definitely put me ahead in like eighth grade because not a lot of eighth graders can play that stuff yet yeah but then I peaked in eighth grade and haven't gotten better at guitar since. <laughs> I feel like peaked in eighth grade would be like a wonderful like EP title or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like a pop punk band. <laughs> yep. Um, I've only seen you play acoustic guitar, um, but I'm sure you shred. Um, 
I found out my new talent that I found out about that I didn't know I had. You know, that's why you come to music school to find out what you're good and bad at. And I found out I'm really good at guitar stabs because we're doing the Motown unit and performance. And I'm just the person who does the stabs. I don't really do much else. (laughs) I do the stabs and I do them well. And that's about it. The songwriters, like, see, I, like, played bass in the the pop performance class. So, like, I always had, like, a a role. But I feel like I was... uh, I could just sympathize with the songwriters, like, because I feel like everyone has a job to do, but that class ultimately, like, isn't a creative class, and, like, the songwriting is, like, your kind of, like, job is inherently more creative. Not better, just you have more creation in your job than uh, instrumentalists. And ultimately, like, everyone will do everything, but, like, at first it's a little awkward. It's just like, okay, I guess I'm playing Shaker on five songs. and like. (laughs) Well, the songwriters in my grade, it's really interesting. There's six of us, and... They are all, I'm the odd one out because they're all incredible performers and singers. Mm. Like they can be the center of attention. They can, right. and they can let go of all their inhibitions and perform and be in it. And I'm so not capable of doing that, that I've definitely been right. the one who's more in the background. Like the other ones, you wouldn't even be able to know that they're not vocal majors because right. they're so good at singing and performing. Right. And then I'm like too scared to dance on stage. <laughs> and so I play the stabs. Yeah. But so they're singing on every song, and I'm stabs playing guitar important. on every song. And I mean, but I mean, they play guitar and stuff too. Yeah. But I think that those stabs are deceptively hard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you you have to make it really sharp and stabby. And yeah, dude. And apparently, like, I have the right hand technique. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but apparently, I can do it. Hell yeah! No, but it was also just like having it something that's that sharp and like by itself when there's nothing around it. It's just like you got yeah. Really, just like. It, it's, it's really vulnerable. I'm pretty sure it comes down to the fact that my telly has great tone, nice. and that's what it's all about. Dude, I, I think you're being humble. I think you're <laughs> good at playing guitar. <laughs> it's a really nice guitar. Yeah, I'm sure it is, but you can have nice guitars that <laughs> shitty people play. Um, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like you got the, you're like more into the production thing, you know? So all these things will... I'm not like upset about not being the performer like them. Right. I think that... I, I don't want to be I different, even if it means that you're, that you're weeping right now. I feel like that's important to mention, like that she's really absolutely like, did crying. Have to, do you have to? I just, I just, this is all about honesty and truth and forthcomingness, and I will not lie on this podcast about you not crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I feel you. Um, it's interesting, like just being a couple years removed from, and just thinking about like seeing the freshmen now, and like. Um, not from a place of like, oh, yeah, now I'm better. But just like, you know, just being a couple years older and whatever. I would hope that you're somewhat better now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess superior is the word I meant to not say. Um, I'm better than everyone. Um, no, um, but just thinking about like how I thought about myself um, and like what things I was good and bad at, like you were saying. And I feel like that's such a dope ass uh, frame of mind to be approaching things with, you know. And it's nice to have like a place to fail like in a safe environment (laughs) smart people to be like this is what you do and what you don't do (laughs) and then you can like get better at shit (laughs) yeah what's the like the dream for you you know is it more of the same like making records and the dream has i don't know if it's changed but it's gotten less like it doesn't take up as much of my consciousness anymore right it was very much like i want to be the next elliot smith yeah just a singer songwriter with a cult following who can but more like the Beatles, because I want to be that big, and I want to, I want to be that much of a leader in culture and society. Yeah. But once I got, it's weird. Once I got really into 
Hinduism and stuff like that, I stopped caring so much about everything, which sounds bad. Like, I don't care about anything, but it's very, very relaxing. Like, I'm not attached to anything. Because, like, when you die, you're the only person who's experienced what you experienced and seen what you've seen. And your entire life is just your own perception. So I'm just, I just want to kind of exist and meet cool people and do cool things. God damn it. That's going to be my new mantra for (laughs) all of my existence. I no joke on my USC application for a dream job. I wrote gypsy, but my mom said that's not a legitimate profession. And so they thought I was kidding, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> He's I think my new hero. They thought I was kidding, but honestly, like, I want a car and a guitar and, like, a notebook and a camera, and I'm just going to drive and. It's comforting be. to know that that's all you need, you know? Um, yeah. That, like, if all goes to shit. So I have a lot of friends that have like so much anxiety about like, dang, like, man, dude, if this next step doesn't happen and this like path doesn't lead to this thing and then like, then I'm like, I'm fucked and it's all like riding on this, like, I need to have this to get this and this and like, yeah. I'm definitely like an into trying, like I love it, but also yeah. uh, there's definitely a comfort in, in yeah, that kind of like non-attached view of just like, dude, at the end of the day, like uh, my favorite things are like pants and <laughs> apples and uh, I think I'm going to have access to those for so <laughs> good. <laughs> well, also this might be like desperately compartmentalizing my desires because they're too stressful. So like <laughs> that's very much a possibility. Yeah. But I think a lot about like how much you need other people in your life because you know, it's such an individual experience, your existence, but then also you want to mm. share it. And wh- that's why we have social media and everything, because we want to share it so badly. And I think it's getting distorted, the fact that you can only see what you see and feel what you feel. Like, yeah. Everything, like all intimacy is trying to like understand what's in other people's brains and yeah. feel like you are inside them. Yeah, yeah. and be seen. Totally. Exactly. So it's hard to kind of... I think that spiritualism stuff has helped me detach from needing other people to know what I'm experiencing, but it's still such a human thing. Like, I still post on Instagram every week, even though I hate myself for it, but I want other people to like it, you know? But, like, there's so many, first of all, so many unbelievable thoughts that you're having, and it's really, really rock and roll awesome. Um, And I was having a similar conversation with Georgia Green the other day about, like, um, like, her and I were talking about, like, being in relationships and just craving that feeling of intimacy. Um, right. <laughs> and just, like, how nourishing it is to, like, have someone that you, like, feel, like, held by and feel, like, seen by. Yeah. Um, and just trying to cultivate, like, that for yourself, like, without being seen, like, feeling Honestly, seen being seen. Like, being so, able to see yourself. So <laughs> much of this philosophy was, like, post-breakup rationalization that helped me Mm. like learn as a person which is a good thing but I feel like going through a period of time where you're just by yourself and learning to like be really able to sustain yourself and like not need that as much makes your relationships so much better when you get in one totally like the idea of being like interdependent like being your own person and having another person be their own person yeah. but also together having this third thing as opposed to being like codependent right it's like such a fine line and like detached from the world as yeah a, i feel like that line between detachment and non-attachment is like yeah they seem like similar things but they're like there's one where you're like pushing everyone out and just like oh if yeah. i don't let anyone in like no one will let me down i think it's really important to like be an individual and have faith in yourself and stuff but then also at a certain point you have to be really vulnerable if you ever want any sort of closeness (laughs) 
like there's this there's this part of me that like fiercely wants to be an island and wants to like not need anyone and wants to just be able to like right. support all my friends and give them what they need. Um, and then I very quickly get exhausted and bitter. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's like humbling to realize like oh I need love. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, such a human thing like trying to figure yeah. out how much you need, how much you can give, and how much you can take. Yeah, that's been on my mind. That's pretty much been the main thing on my mind. I think this whole semester. Um, of just realizing like because sometimes like giving can be like selfish in weird ways or like compulsive mm -hmm. or something or like sometimes I feel like people are pursuing the identity of being a giver as opposed to giving you know what I'm saying right and like if the ultimate goal is like service sometimes like I don't know if, like, if you like came over and I like uh, I don't know I like made you dinner and you were like oh I'm not hungry <laughs> like and I would be like what the hell, you know, and then I'd be all, like, bummed out. Because um, I wasn't actually trying to meet your needs. I was trying to, like, meet my own needs of being, like, perceived as a giver, you know? Right. Um, and I think emotionally sometimes I, like, volunteer for a lot of tasks um, that no one asks me to do. And I feel like a lot of times right. it's, like, a helpful ability of mine. But uh, I'm, like, I get exhausted sometimes. And I'll, I'll use those, like, heart points when I don't actually, and I have to go into, like, debt, you know? Right. And then I get exhausted, and then I get resentful, and then ultimately that's, like, a disservice to the person that I was, like, in, you know, yeah, supposedly trying to service um, and yeah. then undercutting my own shit. And so it's weird being, like, oh, i, I got to focus on myself, but I don't want to be selfish. And there's, like, I think there's it's, that middle ground where yeah. you're, like, taking care of yourself yeah, so that in the long run you can take care of others more and, like, vice versa, you know? It's hard to learn how to do that without becoming, like, insensitive. Yeah. Because, like, I've always been the kind of person ever since middle school where people would confide in me that they were going through things. And, like, I was always friends with, like, the depressed kids who no one else knew was depressed, but they would just tell me. And, cause, and that puts you in a really bad position. And, like, it got really bad. Like, I was my best friend in senior year of high school was a drug addict and to the point where, like, he couldn't function and if I had to like threaten to tell his parents and stuff like that. And like, I think that that experience made me shut down to all of it. So now I don't let people talk to me about that stuff as much as I used to. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that being a songwriter, I like having those kinds of relationships because there's so much to observe, but at a, so a certain point, like you're being self-destructive by letting other people be so destructive. Yeah. <clears throat> it's really tricky. Like, um, that's like a lot to hold, you know, when people see you as like an open vessel and they're just like, here's where I'm at, you know? Yeah. And you want to like support them and be open. But at a certain point, like my whole life I've, I've like had like just like terrible boundaries, you know? And I'm like only in the last right. couple of years like realizing that like boundaries are very helpful. <laughs> yeah. And, like <laughs> and not like sad that you have to put a boundary. Um, like that's not a failure. That's like a, because sometimes those those conversations um, can get like you can almost like get get taken advantage of like you you find yourself with like yeah. vampires you know that are just sort of like taking from your emotional energy and not yeah. that that detracts from their worth as people maybe that's just they're just hurting and that's where they're at but it's still like it's just really tough being like, oh, I have sympathy for your wounds right now, but like also I know that I'm not actually helping you, but <laughs> I'm yeah. maybe more enabling you, especially when you get into addiction and all those things. And it's like, yeah, it's a lot to hold in your heart, and I feel like it's a very natural reaction to just like 
lock the door and be like, well, <laughs> like, yeah. that didn't go well when I had guests over, so no one ever again. <laughs> yeah. And then you turn into the Grinch. <laughs> yeah. Or you yeah. just become really detached, which yeah. works, yeah. apparently. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky balance, and I feel like I'm always going back and forth and hopefully fucking it up less and less each time. But yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, fucking it up less and less each time. Yeah. <laughs> When was this? Uh, when was this relationship? This this big like, would you say that your spiritual sort of like, not to say spiritual awakening, <laughs> but fuck it, fuck it. I was just embarrassed of people <laughs> judging me for saying spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening. <laughs> when would you say that your uh, spiritual <laughs> awakening was? I can't take myself seriously right well, now. First of all, I wouldn't call it a spiritual awakening. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> now I'm crying. I want all the audience <laughs> to know. Um. I don't know. It's definitely a gradual thing. Of course. And I think that it's still happening in my entire life. It'll still be happening. Yeah, you weren't like, you weren't sitting on a mountaintop and then you found Jesus Christ and then everything's mm. been chill since. Well, weirdly enough. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a single snap moment and now everything's cool. Yeah. Cool. Basically. No, for, I, I think it started on my 18th birthday because I got the sitar and I was like, well, maybe I should take this stuff seriously. So I was like, I'll meditate tonight. And I meditated. And I was like, "We'll put that idea in your head." George Harrison. <laughs> Fuck, yes! Wow, that is that's amazing. <laughs> and so I did it, and I didn't have any sort of like big thing happen, but I imagined a mountain, and like there's, I saw this image of like a pristine lake. I don't know if that's a, the right word you could apply to a lake. Yeah. Okay. Pristine. And there were these like tranquil, like yeah, not, very tranquil. Friggin' ripples in it. Yeah, and there were these paper lantern things kind of strung across it to the mountains and they were reflecting off the lake and i was like this is nice and so i kept doing it (laughs) that's the most beautiful description of a meditation experience i've ever heard my whole life this is nice i'm I'm still i'm still waiting for the one where i like figure it all out (laughs) but i think a lot it's really just a good tool for insomnia in general that sort of thing yeah Totally. It's I, was definitely at, I was at this meditation retreat and this guy's like, all right, we're going to break for lunch. You guys uh, make sure you come back. Cause like we're all getting enlightened around 4 PM. So just like make sure you're around. Perfect. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's tricky too. like with the, in the kind of like spiritual work conversation, realizing that there is no end to it, you know, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and you shouldn't like yeah. move forward. And it's sometimes it's, or any kind of like work on yourself um, yeah, can be intimidating, you know? And like when I started going to therapy and shit, it was a lot of like, I would describe it to my friends. I was like, it's like you've been walking around in the dark your whole life, bumping into shit in this room. And the first step is just turning on the lights. And then you see all the horrifying shit that you've been bumping into. And you're like, I kind of preferred it when the lights were off and I could just pretend that everything was chill. And I was just like stumbling. But now I see all these horrifying monsters and, traps and stuff but that still ultimately is like a step towards you know being whole i like so. that image <laughs> a lot it's hard it's hard um but it is like sometimes i see myself like at the base of like the mountain and i'm like oh fuck <laughs> like there's no how am i gonna get all the way up there i'm all the way down here i think it's all about just finding ways that make it more bearable to get through the day and feel yeah. good about yourself yeah and being present and like being like oh i'm always gonna have shit to work on and that's beautiful and so like how do i 
feel like complete and like I'm enough as I am, yeah. but also be like open and growing and shit, you know? That's like a hard place yeah. to get to, you know? <laughs> My big curiosity about all this development is that I feel like I've come a long way mentally this semester. And I'm wondering like when things start to get difficult how it's gonna help me because right. right now my life is as easy as it's ever been like really? school's kind of hard but like I never fit in in high school and there was always challenges and stuff and now I'm going to a school where I totally fit in and I found cool people and I like so beautiful to hear everything is just really easy there's nothing I'm fighting against <laughs> right now there's like where's the where is the trouble where's the difficulty you know mm. So once it starts getting hard again, which inevitably it will, or else I'm just going to be really bored for a long time. Like, hopefully this will all be helpful. Right now I'm so at peace because there's nothing I'm fighting against. Mm. That's beautiful, man. Um, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> Noah Zimmerlin on enlightenment. Boring <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> I just need, like, I need some messed up friends or like someone to break my heart or something so I can write about something real too. Like, dude, I, I feel that, um, and not to project my own shit. I'll just speak to my no, own. I want I want you to project your own shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's unhealthy. But sometimes I, I'll, I'll feel like insecure about being like, okay. You know, like I'll sort of like yeah. reach like a stable place. And That's I'll such a like, songwriter thing. It's such a songwriter. I feel like it's just any, like anyone who, you know, has been a sad child or whatever yeah you're kind of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop and you're just like almost suspicious of things like flat like chilling out and you're just like when are the demons gonna come out from under the bed and harvest my organs like that i don't believe this you just have to have faith that they will because they will (laughs) (laughs) the world's a sad sad place oh damn there's always enough pain you know (laughs) I was at the same meditation retreat and this guy was just like, cause I think sometimes you'll hear creative people saying like, Oh, I kind of don't want to look inwards because that like motivates me, you know? And like, if I, if I solve all this shit internally, I won't have anything to say, you know, which I feel like is a dangerous sort of like mythology that sort of like perpetuates a lot of like pain and suffering and like keeps people in, dark places that they don't need to be into and his point was kind of just like there is plenty of fucked up shit going on externally <laughs> like you don't have to worry about like running out of <laughs> shit to be upset about if you like yeah. work on yourself <laughs> i wrote my entire pop form essay about that basically really? i yeah. couldn't think of anything to write about and i started writing shit as a joke i was like yeah like what is the difference between like a songwriter and a professional songwriter and i was like asking all these stupid questions and yeah. talking about like how they keep from being completely dysfunctional. And I, I was like, I can't turn this in. And then I turned it in. Yeah. And so we'll see how that goes. It's a pass-fail class. So yeah. we'll see if I pass or fail. I wrote a whole like uh, paper on buttholes and I passed. So um. You did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, made it, I make it sound like more vulgar than I did. I was Basically, like Steve Vai came in and was kind of talking about spirituality and music and just sort of like combining them. And, and when I sort of like started getting into spiritual stuff or whatever, um, I it was kind of very separate from music for me, and so he kind of had this like connection moment where he's like, "Oh, like it's all there," you know. And then, not to keep referencing meditation retreats, Jesus Christ! How blah. many have you been on? <laughs> this is I'm pretty sure this is all the same one. I've been on a couple. Um, there's a monastery down in San Diego where you can just camp for like 25 bucks a night, and then you like meditate with the monks and shit. That sounds. Amazing. It's very rad. It's called Deer Park Monastery. Everyone check it out. Teak Nhat Hanh Society. Um, very rad. 
But um, Against the Stream is like a really cool LA meditation society people, and they have like lots of cool. They just they have free shit like every day. Um, but they also have these like day long retreats and things. But basically, th- there was like this joy appreciation thing where he's like going through each part of the body, and um, like expressing gratitude towards it for like being useful, you know. And so this whole, whole thing was about like cultivating joy and gratitude in your life. Uh, the whole day of exercises and shit. And so we were all just like going through the parts and he was like, toes, like, thanks for being toes, you know, like really appreciate it. Like, oh man, I can stand. It's awesome. And he like was kind of going up and was just like, ankles, wow, so cool. I can run. I can, you know, go on stairs. It's great, you know. Um, he was much more eloquent and cool. Uh, I actually saw him driving on the road last night. Like I saw Dharma Punks is kind of the name of his society. And I saw the license plate Dharma Punks. I was like, is that fucking Noah Levine? And I pulled up next to him and I totally saw him and I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like n- geeking out. Um, I also saw a coffee cup like fly out of his car <laughs> like, like onto the ground. And I don't, I think it was the car in front of him. That's what I'm telling myself. I'm like, what if this fucking spiritual <laughs> icon is fucking just like litters and shit and doesn't give a shit. So I thought that was hilarious. But I, I'm telling myself that it wasn't him and it was just like already on the ground. Um, but anyways, he got to the butt. <laughs> Um, he got to the butt and like, yeah, everyone just started laughing and he was just like, he like almost got mad at everyone. He was like, guys, <laughs> I'm so grateful for my butt. Like, <laughs> and he was just talking about, he's like, how, how, he's like, how terrible would your life be without a butt? You know, like you need your butt, you know, like removes things from your body that shouldn't be in there anymore. It's like, anyways, he, and then he kind of like went on this whole thing and. I've since gone back to that retreat center, and he used to sit on like a like a like a special cushion, and he stopped sitting in a special cushion because his whole thing is like there shouldn't be these like separations between like what is spiritual and what is sacred and what isn't, you know. And so there's this idea of like when you're sitting in the lotus position and you're like drinking green tea, it's a very spiritual moment. But like, what about when you're sitting in traffic, or what about when you're on Instagram? Like, why can't those? Why shouldn't those be like present things that you can connect to? You know what I'm saying? Like when he was talking about pooping, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Why can't that be a spiritual moment?" <laughs> and you wrote your pop form essay on that. I did. I went on. I basically like did this whole rant that I just did in that paper. I like that. That's what Steve, like Steve Vai, for me, like really like bridged that gap of kind of saying like because he was talking about like meditating with your instrument. And just, like, when you're waiting in line, just, like, listening to the universe and, like, you think you're not hearing anything, but then you sit quietly, like, kind of like a John, I think John Cage has, like, a similar quote where he's, like, you open the window and you think you're just hearing, like, the outside and you just think about it as a general thing, but it's, like, no, it's not. It's all these really, really specific things and it's the air, like, conditioner that's happening and it's very specific cars that are going by and, like, so, like, I was just, like, so fascinated about that, like, uh, totality of spirituality thing where it's just, like, Yo, everything is spiritual. Like, it doesn't, it's not just like you go to church and that's your spiritual time and then you leave and then you're like, you know? So maybe like taking out the garbage can be this like profound ass time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Anyways, but also butts are funny. So I, I kind of wanted to see if Chris would pass my class, or if I would pass Chris's class <laughs> writing about butts. I've never talked to him about it. Like, don't know if he read it or not. <laughs> kind of want to ask him about it. Anyways, I'm sorry for talking about butts for this long. Um, that's, I think that it was related. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, how's the podcast? I can just talk about butts for like a really long time. Uh, 
He started throwing up. It was terrible. <laughs> um, what do you think about the collective unconscious? I don't know what that is. Like not is? the concept of the collective unconscious. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. It sounds really cool, though. It's it's basically what it sounds like. The idea that there's a... <laughs> no, I'm dumb and I'm really asking you to, <laughs> to explain something to me. <laughs> you read any Jung ever? No, no. I've only heard people talk about him. I read a thing on like the collective unconscious like archetypes and that sort of thing, which... Yeah. And so I was think- I've been thinking about that a lot, like all the time. About like if there's some knowledge that we all share that we like know more than than we think. But I think a lot of it's just Is it like a common database that we're all it's unconsciously drawing from? I don't know. There's a lot of different ideas about it. I like to think so my example of how I think about it is like you know, whenever you're doing anything, a certain amount of time passes and you can estimate it. And I think there's a part of us that knows exactly how much time has passed while we're doing anything. But I think it's an external part. Like the fact that we have established a system of time means we know exactly how long it's been, even if we don't consciously know how long it's been. Mm-hmm. So I guess people have ideas about different things being symbolic and like archetypes and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of it comes from like humans all being human and we have to function the same way as living creatures and so there's some instinctual knowledge from back back when we were you know yeah like oh four no but they did this there's this like one experiment that i um was like listening to some guy on a podcast talking about for some reason, like I feel like when I say I was reading about it, I sound more credible than like I was listening to someone talk to me while I was trying to fall asleep. <laughs> but anyways, um, basically people like reacting to symbols, like having these kind of visceral reactions to symbols, um, where they were showing, like specifically this example, so they were showing people in Alaska pictures of snakes, and they had this like they kind of recoiled, you know, and there's no snakes, like they're like these are these like native people that were like indigenous and so like wouldn't have seen snakes on television or anything else and like there are no snakes in the snow <laughs> you know um but like in their dna is literally like the fear of snakes and like there are all these genetic studies that like traumatic memories are passed down and like even to the point where like uh like survivors of the holocaust are like are ex- like experience ptsd like from generations previous from from like that trauma like literally is passed down you know um and so apparently like snakes used to be such an epidemic as far as like mankind in the globe (laughs) that like it was it was that big of a problem of like snakes killing people to where like that deep deep fear of like traumatization of just like holy shit (laughs) that's the thing that killed all my friends like to a point where like you know people that have been removed from snakes for a really long time still have that kind of and that's why, like, when you originally came into our room and you were talking about the tarot cards, like, that's why I think that they're so fascinating is because they're these kind of, like, archaic, ancient symbols that evoke things in us on a level that right. don't really understand. And that's awesome. And it's really fun to see what your mind pieces together from your own experience and then just from, like, the collective unconscious. I don't know <laughs> if I'm using it right. When in Rome. It's, <laughs> it's interesting to think about the distinction between, like, when we were not when we didn't have conscious thought and we were just beings like 
everyone else. I don't, I don't mm. know if there was really. Anyway, like when did shit get meta for human beings? Right, because <laughs> so much of how we act and so much of our society is based around our instinctual needs and our instinctual yeah. desires. But then there's this over-evolved part that causes all the conflicts. Like the fact that we can <laughs> that we can reflect on ourselves causes so much self-hatred and issues yeah. like that. And it, all these conflicts in the world because people don't understand that when they want power, it's an instinctual thing, not an actual need for survival. Right. So... I think a lot of society's problems and personal problems come from like over evolution. Like we are past the point, like we could survive if we wanted to, but we've now gotten past that point and now we're like being destructive. Yeah. I've never heard that phrase that way over evolution. That's really beautiful. Um, excuse me, I'm burping ginger tea. We're also sitting in my apartment and we're overhearing. I think it's my roommate's friend, Miles, um, just singing. <laughs> it's beautiful beautiful or maybe it's carter i don't know there's some people that come over to play mario kart from time to time but wait so you said okay so you said 18 was your 18th birthday was kind of when this stuff did you get broken up with on your 18th birthday oh god no i was gonna have to be like damn dude that's no how also how old are you now i'm 19 cool so this has been like the recent kind of quest yeah that's badass you're very wise (laughs) thanks i'm learning a shit ton we gotta uh trade books or something yeah Um, definitely hell yeah um, was that relationship kind of like the the one, or have there kind of been like how the have like relationships which, which played into your life? That's a big question. That's a big question. <laughs> it's because like I can definitely give a different answer than I would have a few months ago. That sort of thing. Right. Um, I had like a couple bigger, like emotionally big relationships in high school, and then yeah, and I think things can be emotionally big without being like time. Big. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they weren't that three days with somebody <laughs> that are like. The impactful. most intense. And sometimes yeah. you have six months with somebody. It's like, what? Yeah. Did I even? Do we even meet? Like. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I think I just didn't have a lot of shit figured out when I was in the relationships, and so afterwards, I kind of had to figure myself out. And so I've been like, okay, there's this really. I don't know if there's a difference between people your age and my age, but people my age, the culture is completely a hookup culture, especially in high school. And I don't like that yeah. at all. Like I, I do think that there are like micro generations. And, yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing in my, in my time. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's so I'm unnatural. Like I'm 60 years old. <laughs> no, it's cool. But so that's like all I've really been involved with in the last like two years is like, getting in these situations where you're really good friends with someone and you're hooking up, but it's not a relationship. So then you have all these weird distinctions that make it uncomfortable and make you self-conscious. Yeah. And, and you don't know, like, how yeah. to make yourself. Right. And I've decided to kind of throw that out of my life. I'm, like, done settling for... Like, I like relationships. I think they're great. I like I like having that sort of emotional connection and, have like, sharing your life with someone is a really beautiful thing. And I'm done trying to, like, cheapen it by having it be, like, friends with benefits or whatever. So that's been, like, a big thing that I've been thinking about. And it takes a lot of, like, self-control and patience, I think, because yeah. I don't want to get to the point where I'm, like, I haven't been in a relationship in so long that I'll just settle for anyone because that's, right. that's a mistake. So I'm willing to, like, wait it out for... My new criteria is I need it to be someone who I can, like, at any point be like, hey, can we talk about death and existence? <laughs> Because cause if not, then I'm going to be, like, sitting there with all these thoughts in my head. <laughs> I 
I once made a Tinder when I was like slightly drunk on New Year's Eve and yeah. I was seeing someone at the time, only yeah. they were in Australia and I convinced them to make a Tinder also so we could yeah. compete and see who could get the most matches. Oh my God. We broke up when he got back from oh. Australia. <laughs> You think that was the inciting incident? Or no. was that like part of a larger... I don't know. Yeah, crazy. I don't know. But yeah. anyway, I don't have a Tinder. <laughs> I, dele- I deleted it the next morning, like yeah. when I was no longer like slightly drunk. So Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but that would be in my profile. Right, yeah, totally. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just like so many people I know like hate being single and can't stand it. And of course, like no one likes being single secretly deep down. Like no one... Oh, well, I guess people do. I don't know. But... Well, ultimately, we want to connect with other people. Right. And yeah. I feel like at this point, I'm willing to wait until it's someone I really want to connect with. Yeah. That's fucking beautiful. It's hard when you kind of like, I feel like I kind of waver between like realizing, oh, the thing that I'm actually looking for isn't in these places that I'm looking for. Right. Like, I feel like I... Uh, used to like go to a party and be like, I wonder if anyone wants to kiss my face so that like I can feel less alone like on a deep existential I've level. learned that, <laughs> that that leads to leaving from parties feeling worse than when you arrived. Yes, 100%. And uh, yeah, that there was a lot of that in the past for sure. And that's like a whole thing of like expectations and bullshit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's tricky when you realize like, oh, like the, the, the thing that I'm after personally is like way more specific than I've been like pretending it is right. my whole life. And like not only is it a specific type of person, but it's also a specific way that I need to be cared for <laughs> in a specific like time in both my life and that person's life. And sometimes you have two out of three and some you know, and it's like Yeah. Really, really so much of it's timing. Yeah. And so it's really tricky. The patience element is something that I'm struggling with because it's beautiful when you realize like, oh, what I need is like more rare you know and it it yeah it takes more patience but it's also like hard to reconcile with the kind of day-to-day loneliness you know yeah he's like damn dude like (laughs) i want to you know be more active in the search but sometimes that just leads to more yeah a lot of it happens naturally i hope i hope yes because i don't want to be the one putting like the work in because that's stressful exactly i feel like the most um connected sort of like intimacies that I've had with people have been these very natural things. Yeah. Um, And I sort of, I think like a year ago I was, I was putting a lot of uh, concentrated effort in like looking under every stone for like, is this a relationship? Is this a, what about this? Is this a relationship? Yep. And just exhausting. And like got some good feedback and like some good, like sort of like deciphering like, Oh, this is kind of who I am and this is what I have to offer. And this is what I like to receive and stuff. But, um, yeah, the ones the ones that are the most impactful and the, the gratifying are the ones that just sort of like happen and aren't like, oh, I wonder if I yeah <laughs> like did this in this very specific way and talked to this person about this very specific thing and played my cards right or whatever. Like, there's the thing that you just kind of fall into and you're like, oh shit, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and when it's forced, it always ends up hurting you more anyway. Yeah, like I'd rather have I want if I'm gonna be emotionally crushed, I want it to be like real first. What a thing to say. Yeah, that's beautiful. I agree. <laughs> like risk, like if I'm gonna if I'm if I'm putting this much at stake, like better be, you know. That's yeah. 
That's one thing I learned in high school is that if I'm going to do that, like, I'm going to get emotionally crushed. It's kind of inevitable. Yeah. Because at least it, maybe at that age, like, it just doesn't work out, you know? Well, I mean, in a, in a, not to be too morbid, but in a grand sense, like, none of it, quote unquote, works out. That's true. <laughs> like, That's all, true. All relationships end, you know? <laughs> Somehow or another. Yeah. Which is a really tricky thing to accept and also to, like, move forward, you know? Like, I feel like another thing with, with people sort of, like, fucking millennials, man. No. But just people, um, like, I remember this one time, I think it was, like, a couple of years ago, I just was talking to this woman at this pizza shop. And we, I, we didn't even, like, exchange names. And she was just, like, talking to me about, like, her kids. And I think we were just talking about pizza. I forget. Or maybe it was, like, a hat I was wearing or something. But a very it's nice. It's probably a hat you were wearing. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It was probably a hat I was wearing. <laughs> um... It was very nice, and I, I feel like there's a thing where when you meet somebody, you have this, like, desire to hold on to it, and it's like, oh, f- find me on Facebook. Like, ah, you know? Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of people that I've met that I'm glad that I can still talk to on Facebook, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially like, when you're traveling, and you can be like, oh, where's that dude I met in uh, freaking Ireland? Like, I want to talk to him. Yeah. And I love that sort of connectedness. But there's this weird side to it where it's like some... T- have you seen The Avengers 2? <laughs> I have not, no. Okay. There's this really beautiful line at the end of it where basically it's this like robot. It's like one of those classic sci-fi movies where there's this robot that thinks humans are inefficient and like wants to destroy everything, you know? And then they like make this other like alien creation that is like divine and like loves humanity. And they're having this conversation at the end. It's like the Vision and, and Ultron and... Uh, <laughs> The vision is like Ultron's being like humans are so dumb like they're gonna freaking kill themselves like I don't see the point you know um, and the vision was just like dude like a beautiful a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts you know and I just like I love that it's hard to not be morbid about that because that initially sounds like really tragic but one of the things I love about all this Eastern shit is that I don't I don't think about it as like morbid I just think about it as like that's just what it is. And mm-hmm. like that can make it more beautiful, you know? And just like, so realizing that, you know, you can't take your Facebook friends with you <laughs> when you die. Yeah. It's like, um, there's something really nice about just having a moment with somebody and like letting it be that, you know? Cause ultimately like they're all just going to be things that like, yeah. You turn the page and close the book on, you know? I'm very convinced that everything anyone does ever is deep down out of fear of death. And so all this social media, all of that is like people being scared of dying, scared of their own mortality, the fact that they're completely impermanent and they're trying to hold on to it so hard that they're like losing everything that's right in front of them. And I feel like that's like Donald Trump, you know what I'm saying? He's, yeah. I'm important, I'm alive, like, look at me. He's gonna (laughs) die like everyone else and he's not gonna find any enlightenment before then, so. (laughs) But he has all of his things that are made of gold, so that brings him joy, I'm sure. Yeah, but it it, it is tricky to see, like, yeah, because there's so much, like, human motivation that it's just like, ah, I'm alive, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) And to have sympathy for those wounds because it's just like, oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. But then, like, seeing the kind of how harmful and destructive that can be and being, that's, like, where it gets harder to relate to. It's just like, okay, I guess Donald Trump is just afraid, but, like, also, fuck, dude. (laughs) Like, (laughs) don't make it everyone else's problem. (laughs) Yeah. But he did. But he did. And he does. And we let him. Oh, well. 
That's some uh, some Miles uh, Newsy riffing. Uh, check him out on SoundCloud if you liked that <laughs> riff. Um, what's it like being? Uh, we were talking briefly when I was working sound at your show um, about being the only female in the pop program. Oh, in production. Er, in the production program. It's. <laughs> I'm in the pop program, and I have a whole bunch of wonderful female friends. <laughs> I was dumb, but once again, potato brain. But production. It's. I don't know. It's cool because I'm special to Rick. Rick right. Schmunk. He's, yeah, he likes me. Yeah. He's other, like, than, other than that, he it doesn't. He cares a lot. Yeah, he definitely does. I love that guy. It doesn't come up generally. Like, I don't feel it much. Most of my friends are guys, which yeah. the only, like, that's great. The only issue with that is I don't know who I'm going to live with next year. Right. Because all my friends are guys. And, like, right. you can't. That gets weird. Mm. Um, but other than that, like, it doesn't even seem like a thing. Mm. It's kind of cool. Heck yeah. That's right. Definitely as a as a dude, it, it, there was like a me realizing just like, oh yeah, this is a room full of dudes. <laughs> um, and just realizing like, I think audio in general for some reason is very like, I mean, there's a lot of things that are pretty male heavy. Yeah. <laughs> things, but. I think the people who are in it make it totally normal. Like yeah. even more than. So I have, like, my two separate communities, like, my songwriter community and my production community, and they're right. all friends with each other, too, so it's not, like, a distinct thing except right. for in my head where I know the distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, especially within the production, we have, like, group texts and stuff like that, and everyone is so there for each other. It's such a, like, it's such a good group of guys. They're so nice, and they're so supportive, and, like, I just I feel like everyone has everyone else's back. So yeah. it's just a good community, and the fact that I'm the only girl has just no effect on it. Fuck yeah. And I, like, awesome. don't plan on getting involved with any of them because yeah. that would make it a thing, and I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. So it's better just to be friends in that, that situation. Like, <laughs> you're going to have to sit there in that fuck for a while. That's exactly what it's like. Terrible. I'm a songwriter. I make a lot of metaphors, so <laughs> I can't help myself. That was a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. How is the sort of, like, first semester looking back now that we're... It was definitely, like, the best time you know yeah that's cool that you like normally like things are chilled out. i feel like a lot of people come to college and they're like ah and you're like no oh, it was cool. so it's so much better than high school i did all that in high school i did the right. screaming in high school cuz high school is the worst yeah what were you like in high school um shy and quiet until about junior year when i learned that when you talk with people sometimes you make friends and like that's yeah. good oh yeah i just i I know I switched high schools after freshman year because yeah. I got I was like good friends with the wrong people and right there were some psycho people like there's some weird shit like one yeah. of my best friends who I stopped talking to at a certain point he like killed a cat in a satanic ritual like stabbed it nine times when it didn't die he lit it on fire oh shit God. like that yeah so it was just a weird environment I was at the school where it was really cool to be depressed and everyone wanted to show off their depression right there's and totally I, a thing with that with artists where with a artists fetishization yeah. of depression I just couldn't stand that because yeah. it, it's not a fun environment so I switched schools but then I yeah. switched schools to the preppy school right which is still public and it was huge and everything but like I I made some good friends there but I never quite had a group or anything so I was always in the music room at lunch like playing music and or in the library and it was like yeah, so it just wasn't a good time and coming to college I was 
like I'm so easily was able to meet people who were on the same wavelength. So it just felt a lot easier than high school. And I have such a good relationship with my parents and stuff that there was no weird tension leaving, which I feel like a lot yeah. of people, once they leave, they're like, wow, my relationship with my parents is shit and I don't want to deal with it. So I'm going to get drunk a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't have to deal with any of that. I felt, I yeah. feel like I dealt with a lot of the personal shit in high school. And so mm. coming to college, I was, I'm like in a good place and that's good. Fuck yeah. I feel like it's too easy. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. You're trying to stir some shit up. I need to start some shit up for sure. Watch out, man. You don't want to be. Sometimes I uh, that comes from a self-destructive place. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I'm just. But it's also okay to be chilling, you know. Sometimes I'm chilling and I'm like, yeah. "What's really wrong? Like this is a facade." Yeah, like, I went. I went through it's that. Like, totally fine to be chilling. That was the first <laughs> few months of the semester. I was like, "What's going on? Like, yeah. I'm okay." Yeah, I think that's but, beautiful. I don't think you have to overthink it. I'm sure it'll come back. Yeah, it'll come back. And like, that too will pass, and it'll all be fucking groovy later yeah. as well. Yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, if you could hang out with like fourteen year old Noah Zimmerman, like, what do you think that conversation would be like? If you guys, if you were doing a podcast, um, oh god, fourteen was a weird, weird time. That's when I made my first album. Yeah. Um. So I'd be probably like, I'd be like, I can't believe that you've made this many albums and you still never tried to do, like, a marketing plan. Like, come on. You're just, like, putting out all this shit. Everyone's going to get bored of all this, like, inundated with your music. Like, you need to do something more creative. Like, put out a single for once. This is 14-year-old you giving current you advice. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Because I'm still just doing what's fun for me, which is putting out albums when that's just not the way to get people's attention because people have no attention span. So they're not going to be like, whoa, she has all these albums out, so I'm going to go listen to all of it. No, they want like the single that's really good. That's the anthem. Like, got to get there. Or you're the, like the refreshing, different one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not going to like stop doing what I enjoy doing. Yeah. I want to get someone else in here to, so I can just make the music and they can be like, we're going to put it out like this. You just keep making it and we'll figure yeah. out how to get it out. Yes, yeah, so that you can keep doing it. Yeah, because yeah. I write so much and then once you write... Once you have your new stuff, you're like, oh, this is better than the last stuff. I need to put it out now so that yeah. people know where I'm at now. You're like, that stuff's still being mixed, and I'm writing the cooler stuff. Yeah, exactly. Put it out and people think that's where you're at now, and you're like, no, I'm at this totally <laughs> other place. Yeah. You don't even know yet. Yeah. I'm like really, really impulsive and obsessive, which is yeah. makes me put out a lot of music. But it's yeah. also like, it also made me make my dad buy me a fish tank one time. And now I'm like traumatized against fish because they all died. Like, they got diseased and ate each other. And now I hate fish. <laughs> You just decided that you wanted to like own some fish one day. Yes, terrible mistake. I didn't think it through. Well, there was a, there was a really quick turnaround in there where it's like you you got the fish tank, then they all got diseases, and then they all ate each other. Some of them ate each other. That's fucking insane. It was gross. Like literally, like I hate fish. Like I have a weird fear of fish now. Yeah. So anyway, my point is. My point is, I need to. I'm trying to get the impulsive thing under control so that I can be more logical about my decision making with my career. Mm. But it'll all work out. It always does. Yeah. That's why I've been telling all my friends during finals, and they're just like, "Shut the fuck up." Yeah, dude. I feel like that's the rad place to be. Um, I'm fully. I fully endorse and support that. You know, <laughs> and then try to get to that place because there's so much stuff I freak out about that's like so unnecessary. Um, when did this, uh, you were telling me a cool story about this, uh, on the bright side of oblivion, how that kind of came. 
yeah. There was the moment where you're like, I need to make this record. <laughs> that was definitely the most interesting process of my life. Like, I could yeah. write a book about the making of this album. And, like, of course, no one would ever read it. But when I read it, like, in 10 years, I'd be like, yeah, that was a weird time. <laughs> anyway, so I guess a lot of it had to do with my friend that I was talking about who's a drug addict. Yeah. And that was a very stressful relationship. Mm. And still, is this person still around? They, yeah, we don't talk anymore, but right. once in a while he'll like my picture on Instagram. Right. That's happened like twice. Yeah, yeah. So it was really complicated too because um, I, I started this organization at home that gives music lessons to like underprivileged kids and he was one of the teachers. And so it became me having to be like, you can't show up like stone to teach this kid who looks up to you like yeah. a big brother. Like you can't yeah. do that, which was like way too much to handle when I was... <sighs> You know, I was like, I'm, yeah. I still can't, like, I'm 19, I'm not an adult, I can't do that. Yeah, that's a lot. So it was like a really heavy relationship. Right. And I started, I was at the same time getting into spiritualism, but more just getting into thinking deeply. And so I ha was having all this stuff going on combined with me trying to understand him, which was me smoking more and getting more into like yeah. trying to understand what he was like why he loved it so much which like totally. is the t the worst thing you can start doing when you're friends with a drug addict is to start getting into drugs because that's the in opposite in of what should be happening yeah which eventually led me to like being sober for a few months and yeah. like i don't know but which is hard as a freshman <laughs> in college like honestly like oh this was it like senior year like right. another senior year well, still like, <laughs> even like because uh, like i have like a lot of like addiction in my family and stuff like that and they're like I, my yeah. sister who's like in recovery for heroin and she's killing it now she's got like a year sober but there were wow. like, like 10 years where it was like on and off and it was difficult and i yeah. remember having this thought of just like oh what if i tried heroin in an attempt to like yeah. understand her world so that we could like climb out of it together you know and that's how you both fall into the hole yeah and get stuck yeah exactly i didn't end up good that, which is like looking back it's just an insane idea but i was also 15 i'm really <laughs> oh my god i'm really glad you didn't do that yeah me, no me too man um and I think she's glad too. But I remember having that that impulse of just like, what if yeah. I, how do I get to where you are? You know, so yeah, I, so I can help you. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what was going on. And luckily, I didn't get that into it because I didn't start like doing crazy yeah pills and shit like yeah, that. Like yeah, I didn't yeah. start doing that. But it's so easy. It's that yeah. switches. I remember like you know smoking weeds and my smoking weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I remember smoking weeds and <laughs> doing drugs. When you smoked a weed. <laughs> You, have you seen the episode of uh, The Office where, like, Michael Scott, like, accidentally breathes in, like, secondhand yep. smoke at an Alicia Keys <laughs> yep. concert? And then there's all the fucking, like, there's, like, the whole, like, Inquisition. And he's like, look to your left. Look to your right. One of those people is addicted to heroin. Like, <laughs> do you guys think drugs are cool? Do you think doing alcohol is cool? <laughs> I love that shit so much. Best show of all time. Yeah, agreed. Um, but it's tricky. Like, uh, I remember, like, one of the things I struggled with freshman year was, like, I feel like a lot of people get to college and they're like, time to drink a lot more. Yeah. And, like, I had this relationship in high school where it was kind of, like, because I was, like, I was, like, pretty into partying at, like, a pretty early age. Um, and not that that made me cool. I don't think it's cool at all, but just, like, the environment I came from. Um, and then so I was kind of, like, pulling back. And I was dating this girl that was kind of, like, going in more into the it, it was like this really weird threshold that we crossed where I, at first i was like bringing her to parties and introducing her to people and then it was like the opposite started happening you know where it's like she's like heading to parties that i, I didn't even know anyone about and like 
<laughs> but I remember like when my when my friends in high school like <clears throat> it went from like smoking weed and like watching Adventure Time and talking about Tribe Called Quest to like you know people getting into cocaine and stuff and I was just like what <laughs> like, <laughs> like there is such a crazy that's such a crazy threshold yeah um uh and it's like like I have a lot of friends that like have done cocaine and, and things like that and so I try to not to like look down on those people or anything but it also is like having substance abuse in the family and, and just being kind of like kind of that over empathetic type of person that has the aperture setting too wide on your camera and your heart is like letting too much shit in <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out how to fucking <laughs> yeah. make it through the day. I, um, I can, I can empathize with that impulse to, uh, to numb out, you know? Um, and, uh, but anyways, yeah, like going through sober bits in my life and uh, like going to like AA meetings with my sister and like honestly, like there's so many parallels between spirituality type shit and like <laughs> the 12 step program, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of beautiful just like people working on themselves and like looking for truth and that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and whenever I would go to those meetings, even though I wasn't in the the cool club of people that were like into hard drugs and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I'd feel like an outsider because like I'm just like, yeah, I'm just from the suburbs and uh, yeah. I'm sad sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I never felt like, um, like I never felt like an outsider. So sometimes I'd feel like an outsider looking in, but most of the time it's just like, oh, we're all here working on some similar shit. You yeah. Know? Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's tricky sometimes. Like, I feel like when we're at an age, and especially like USC, is I feel like is a culture that really is just like, really worships the partying thing, and it's hard when you're trying to analyze and work on your own relationship to that stuff. Yeah, and like step away from it. And I just remember like, yeah, just like, but it's tricky because <clears throat> if you say like, oh, I don't drink. That like stops the conversation, but it's really, really hard to explain. And you're like, I drink sometimes, yeah, <laughs> very, very little amounts, and then sometimes not at all. And like when you're kind of going back and forth, in, yeah, in an attempt to like understand yourself and like understand your own limits and like what brings you joy and like what like furthers you know pain and suffering and shit like yeah. that. Yeah, um, and there's just been like some weird times with friends, people, you know, people just being like, "What are you like? I don't understand," you know, and, like, yeah, all this stuff, and so. Anyways, I can definitely, that balance can be weird. Yeah. <laughs> <at> this age. <laughs> yeah. But it helps cool to like not care what people think about what yeah. you're doing, which is hard, but. Totally. And ultimately the rad people like give you the space to be whoever yeah. the fuck you want to be on any given day, which is like, those are the, those are the keepers. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. But yeah. But yeah. On the bright side of oblivion. So I <laughs> you. Um, yeah, so we were at getting into drugs more to kind of understand that, which yeah. led to my own journey, which was yeah. like a cool thing. But I just, I was writing all these songs that I didn't think were a big deal at the time. And then some of them were about him. Like, one of, there's, this is the first album I've ever put out where I can't listen to it easily. Mm. Like, there's one song that I like can't really listen to because it was very much, it was like a, me waking up so there was this period of time where i knew he was relapsing and he was because he had been in a program and he had been sober for three months and then he relapsed and and then i was one of the only people who knew about it and i just couldn't i had to kind of shut down because it just was too much and then there was this one night where i woke up in the middle of the night and realized that i'd been totally ignoring that all this was going on and i i just had this weird feeling it felt like a friend dying because like he wasn't it felt like he just wasn't there 
Yeah, and there's definitely a grief. It, yeah, it's still alive. Of, like, yeah, it, it felt be. like grieving someone who died, even though he was still alive. And so I like wrote this one song, and so it's like very, very difficult to listen to. And I told him that I'd written it, and like we had a lot of conversations about that sort of stuff. And eventually, he texted me one morning and said, "I'm going away to a program." Like tell my student that I'm proud of them like at the music program and like we hadn't really been talking because I had just totally stopped talking because I couldn't handle it of course and, and sometimes that's the healthiest most loving thing you can do yeah which sucks but sucks <laughs> <laughs> but when he went away to rehab I it was right before then it was winter break and my parents went to Hawaii and I was supposed to go with them but I wanted to finish the album I was, the other album I was working on and so I was home alone and there's this huge rainstorm and the power went out in my house and I live out in the middle of like nature. And so it was totally dark. There's no reception. So I was totally cut off and it was terrifying. And I drove out to the studio cause I was supposed to have a rehearsal with my producer for a show. And we were having, we, he's really a cool guy and we were having a deep talk about existence and stuff. And I was going through all this stuff and it was all happening. Like all this stuff was going on. And then, power went out and it was just like this crazy weird chaotic moment in my life and I was like I'm gonna go home now and write an album called on the bright side of oblivion and it was just a total joke and then I started thinking more about that concept and how much it applied to what was uh, was going on and then I ended up writing a song called on the bright side of oblivion after I had thought of the album name yeah and so it just all kind of came together and when he went away to rehab I was like I need a project because that's how I deal with my emotions is I like have a project. Yeah. And so really badass way to it's productive at least. Yeah. And then over spring break, I realized I wasn't going to, I just needed to get it out and I didn't have time. So I spent 48 hours recording the guitar and vocals. Like it, all of it was recorded within 48 hours, basically. Yeah. And then we like spent a little time mixing it. My producer did a lot of cool stuff to it. And then I decided not to put it out because mm. I was writing, I had gone to college, my whole, my life was completely different, I felt like the stuff right. I was writing now was better, and so I just kind of... connected from the album? Yeah, mm. and I think a lot of that was not wanting to think about the period of time, Yeah, and like the mental breakdown that led to it, but I went back to it, and I was starting to, like, it was starting to be like a year since all of this had happened, and I have this thing where like a year later I start feeling stuff that happened, like it's happening. Yeah. Exactly a year later. Something about like the the lighting or whatever at the time of year. Yeah! Which is a cool thing, and I value that. Like, it helps Mm. me process stuff, I think, even if it's painful. But like, I realized that it, whether the songs were good or not, whether it sounded good or not, it captured it. Like, it 100% captured what I was going through, and that's all you can hope for in an album. So I just decided one morning I woke up and I was like, I should put out this album. And so I put out the album. It was out within like a month of deciding to put it out after the month of deciding not to put it out. Whoa, Jesus. That's a beautiful story. And then that's when we met at your album show. Yeah, exactly. That was a great show. That was an interesting night. How was the night? Yeah, that was that was insane. <laughs> that was a weird <laughs> we night. got yelled at by that lady. <laughs> so we were doing sound check, like down the street from a college on a Saturday at seven thirty p.m. Seven thirty p.m. And she comes out and starts yelling at us, and we hadn't even set up the drums yet. Like it's not like we were doing anything. No, we were just a couple. Of, I think there was like literally like a Cat Stevens song playing, like w- softly in the background, <laughs> like if that or something. 
I was so, um, like, when she started yelling, I was like, we're going to have to yelling. shut down the show. And I, like, sat on the floor, on the ground, and I was, like, about to start crying. Because I was yeah. like, no. Because we'd rehearsed, and I was so excited for people to hear the music. Exactly, yeah. And you'd put so much work into that fucking album and, like, and the show. And it was just like, and you did everything right and responsibly and cool. And you're trying to, like, cultivate this cool artistic moment for people. And then this, like, shitty person comes along and is like, you guys are breaking the fucking law. Fuck you guys. My fucking kids are fucking asleep. Fuck, 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 fuck you. You're, you're, it's a, this is illegal to I, have a drum set. My favorite was, like, you have a drum set. Grow the fuck up. Yeah. That's the thing that was insane. It was like she was kept saying grow up. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't... Like, I don't think this is, like, a naive, like, thing that we're doing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Apparently, like, it is. Um, but it all worked out. We moved it yeah. inside. The... Really what came out of it for me was that a bunch of people spent time and effort like moving equipment inside to make this show happen. Like I was I was like at the end of the night, I was like, I'm in this such an amazing environment because everyone's trying to do something yeah! cool for me. And yeah! it's so it was personally like a great night. Like I've never cool. felt so full of other people, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that you feel that way about it. Um I've definitely had similar because it's live music, you know, shit hits the fan. And, like, a lot about putting on shows is about putting out flyers, you know? Yeah. Um, but it is so nice, like, uh, the show that we played the other night. Um, that was really fun. Yeah, that was super cool. And that was all volunteer-based, you know? And, like, I was, like, having, like, a really tough, crazy day. Like, I just, like, quit my job, and I was really tired. And I was like, fuck, I gotta, like, set up this PA and stuff. And just, there were, like, seven people that came to my car with me, you and Raya included. And, like, everyone just, like, just so many people that were dedicated to helping a thing and like also that concert like all the proceeds going to like help like north korean refugees and i was just like damn like this is so beautiful <laughs> yeah so anyways that's what it's about heck yeah do you want to play some friggin' sitar dude <laughs> i do but i'm really bad at it just this is not me trying to like play sitar this is just me showing you what a sitar sounds like when you like pluck the strings yeah i'm excited about it let me get some mic stands when you like pluck the strings. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Let me get some mic stands. Oh, I have to play it on the floor. Like it has oh. to be on the floor. Yeah, no, I, I still think. Uh, is that part of it? Is that part yeah. of the sitar culture that it has to be on the floor? Yeah, you also can't step yeah. over it. That's like really? a rule. Okay, I'll make sure not to step over it. Um, I want to prop the mic up a little bit though. You're not supposed to do that. Oh, fuck! No, I was talking about me plucking the strings. Oh, okay, You're good. Cool. It's like a respect thing, which you don't get in Western culture because people just beat the fuck out of their guitars. But like, on the East, it's a, the instrument itself is holy. Whoa! question i think <laughs> when i got it it was tuned to d it can either be in like d or d flat and because the beatles did a lot of their stuff in d flat i tuned it down to d flat but i didn't tune all these sympathetic strings so it doesn't really sound so good because like this is there's like 30 something or whatever 20 there's strings on top of other strings yeah jesus christ i guess i've never looked at a sitar before and this isn't even this is like a travel sitar so it doesn't have the giant gourd here and there so this is like a small version because when i got it i knew i was gonna be living in a dorm so i was yeah. like i'll actually get a small one what was that thing you were saying that like you and your friends were like opening for the show and you just decided to like oh yeah <laughs> my last like album release show 
I brought my sitar, and before the show started, I just sat on the ground, like, fucking around on it. But my producer got out tablas, and he's a percussionist, and it's so different to play with a percussionist with this instrument. Like, playing by myself sounds weird. Playing with a percussionist, it sounds cool, even though I suck. (laughs) So you play lead on this one and this one, the bottom two, and then you strum those ones. When I bought it, the dude sat me down and he gave me a, a little lesson about it, and that's all I've got. So beautiful. It's it's a cool culture, and apparently you can cut your fingers open really easily because it's not like guitar where you hit something like you don't hit the wood of the neck. You know, when you push down, you just yeah. hit the strings. So if you yeah. push too hard, you might cut your fingers open. Hasn't happened yet, but and you play it all with your pointer finger unless you're going up. Then, like, the last note, the highest note you hit, you can play with your middle finger, and then you... It's a, a lot of weird little rules. Right. That's about all I can do. Yeah! I love tried adding it to a song and my producer tried recording it and he was like next time maybe you should come prepared with something you've written for the song <laughs> so i haven't tried since because yeah i mostly happen. i don't play it all like as much as i feel like i should because i invested in this instrument but also i just having it around i like the reminder i like looking at it and appreciating it and what yeah, it represents totally. it's like your friend and it's like yeah it's there with you. exactly <laughs> That's right. Will you play me a song on uh, guitar or sitar? I'll use the guitar because I don't think I can play anything coherent with this one. <laughs> I'll get another mic. Uh, I haven't actually decided what song I'm going to play yet. Dude, I was hoping that you'd have some sort of like request of what kind of emotional vibe you want or sound vibe. I can give you an emotional prompt if you want, but uh, also if there's one that you felt like is the one. Wait, nope. <laughs> um. Like old, new. I'll just choose one. It probably won't even have to do with what you say, but maybe it'll help me make the decision. <laughs> cool. Uh, maybe something that's like, like a little anxious or nostalgic, or both. Anxious or nostalgic? That's what I'll say. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> anxious and nostalgic? Not because of this conversation, just these days. No, I like that. So, uh, in a bad way. I don't know. I haven't decided if it's gonna be a good idea. <laughs> 
can play the existential staircase song. That sounds funny. playing this one live because it's the most produced song I've ever done and yeah. so it has a whole different thing acoustic yeah that's another thing I love like we were talking about recordings and versus like songs and how they influence each other and speak to each other and I just love like I'm sort of fascinated by all the similarities and differences and the fact that like you know a band like Wilco like you listen to like their live record and the songs like evolve and they keep growing and like to think about a record as like a record, like a historical record, as like a document right. of where that piece was at that moment, you know? And then right. it keeps growing with the people, it's beautiful. Love it. Alright, Doc. Existential staircase. Yeah, I wrote it in the staircase. I was playing at like a school performance and uh I was playing at the show, there's APW and IPW, so there was advanced performance workshop and intermediate performance workshop, and I was in advance, but my teacher asked me to play a song at the other one, just like to, I don't know, he asked a few people from our class, and I was sitting, waiting before, and I was in the staircase that had great acoustics, because staircases have the best acoustics, and so I just started writing this song, and I wrote it down on like some piece of paper in giant blue sharpie or something, and brought it on stage and like played it right then because I, I just wanted to test it out. And I messed it up a lot, as you would expect. Yeah. But it ended up lasting. Like, sometimes when you think a song's really good, right, when you write it, it's just terrible. <laughs> which is the risk you run when you're gonna play a song you just wrote live. Yeah. But I did that on the, with On the Bright Side of Oblivion too. I wrote it like while I was waiting for a show just, and just played it and it was cool. So yeah, I think those sometimes make cool songs, yeah. and it was it's very much about, people have hypothesized what it's about, because it's sort of like the song that people know by me more than any other, and one of my friends thought it was about drugs, my mom thought it was a breakup song, and it's just not any of those things. It's about, I was thinking about permanence and impermanence, and the way... Like, my mom has this thing about how there's a finite amount of energy in the universe, and so when something, like, there's always a give and take, like, it's a very physics mindset, and I was thinking about what about love, because you can fall out of love with someone where you just have no feelings anymore, so, like, where does that go? How does that fit into it? So it's sort of about that. It's called burning away.
people find your things um itunes spotify everywhere but cd baby basically yeah. it's under noah zimmerman noah is spelled n-o-a and there's no h at the end of that hell yeah awesome dude thanks so much thank you for righteous oh yeah do you have any like shows coming up or anything this will be out on um let me just pull up my iCal here like a fucking asshole uh wednesday the 13th december 13th um, I have a couple shows in January. I have one in January 5th at Beyond Baroque. Heck I'm yeah. With Mason. So nice. Like, is Heck yeah. And I'm very excited for that. January 5th. January 5th, Beyond Broke. No Zimmerman, Mason Summit. Two awesome songwriters. Be there, man. Do you know where people can get? Is there tickets and shit? I think it's free, I hope. Cool. I'm not sure. Rat. Do you have like an Instagram or something where people can find your I shit out? I do have an Instagram, which is Noah Z Music. Cool. Dude, thanks so much. Thank you. Happy Santa, man. Happy Santa. 